The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Miss Meg. I invite your attention this morning to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. That may surprise you for a Mother's Day message, but uh, we'll get there in just a moment. But if you are here, and uh, if you're a mother, uh, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, maybe you have young children. Uh, some of you uh, wish you could just blip past those, those periods and get them older so they listen to you a little bit better, but they don't seem to do that either, do they? So uh, uh, I know all the all the esteemed parents are saying, yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, you know, if you're a grandmother, you know, there's so many situations. Perhaps your mother has passed. Perhaps you've never been able to have children. Perhaps you, uh, there's so many scenarios. But happy Mother's Day to you, ladies, especially. We, we remember this day. And, and let me just say, uh, this is not part of the sermon, but you are not a mother just because you do all the things a mother's expected to do uh, on a checklist that mothers have. And they have big ones, don't they? You mothers have big checklists. Uh, and you keep us going. But at the same time, your identity is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Your identity is a daughter of God because Jesus died for you. So if you're here today and you say, I don't feel like a good mother today, well, uh, join the club of every human everywhere because Jesus died for people like us. Amen? And that's what we know. So that is the truth of the matter. And one more house cleaning thing as you're turning, hopefully already there, to Genesis chapter 1. It's pretty easy to find, right? Um, uh, tonight, there will be no prayer meeting. Several of us will be out of town with family this afternoon, so no prayer meeting this evening at 5 o'clock. No other activities this evening as well uh, that aren't usually scheduled. So there you have it. But uh, this is a unique time because we are starting basically a six-week series from now until the end of June, uh, June 25th, if I'm not mistaken, about biblical manhood and womanhood. Say, so Darren, where's the, where's the Mother's Day message in this? There will be one to some degree. But these are questions that have come up so repeatedly, and we're just doing these little short sermon series in between to help answer some of those. But uh, before we get there, I just want to remind you, if you are still trying to buy a Mother's Day gift, can I give you some fair warning? Are you ready for this? All right, let's go through some, because there are some things, especially husbands, should not be buying for their wives. I mean, as a veteran of these wars, and I can tell you I am a veteran of these wars, I'm still not sure what to buy my wife or buy her as a mother, but I'll pass on what not to buy her, okay? Are you ready? Uh, first off, don't buy anything that involves sizing, okay? <sighs> the chances are 1 in 7,000 that you will get her size right, and your wife will offend the other 6,999 times. Do I look like a size fill-in-the-blank? And she'll say, that's too small cut either. You can never win, guys. So if you're buying something for your mother or your wife today, don't go for size. Also, don't go for things that are useful. This is a Father's Day gift, right? <laughs> the new silver polish advertised on late-night TV in the infomercials is not going to win you any brownie points with your mom or your wife today, guys. So all the guys are not smirking. All the ladies are. So I take that as a sign. Guys, don't buy jewelry, right? Your ju the jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford, and the jewelry you can't afford, she doesn't want, all right? So. <laughs> Ladies, is that not correct? Is that <laughs> it's the thought that counts, right, exactly. And finally, don't spend too much, because how do you think you're going to afford that, she'll ask, but then you spend too little, it's the opposite, isn't it? She won't say anything, she'll be like, is that all I'm worth to you at that point, so... Guys, we can't win for losing on Mother's Day. We really can't. I hope you understand that. But we love mothers. We love Mother's Day. We love women. We love men. We love all those things, and we love to honor that. Uh, you know, and it's just who it is. But Mother's Day reminds us of, of, of two pillars, I think, as well. It reminds us that men and women are different, and moms and dads are not interchangeable. Did you ever think about that? Very, very true. Hebrews 11.3 says this, and I'll tie it into what I just said a minute ago, but Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. You know, as we talk about these topics of being a man and being a woman according to God's world, we, there's, there's a bit of faith here, friends. 
in the sense that so often how we are looking at these topics, just like you laughed at the joke up front, because we all know it's true, is defined by culture in, in a lot of ways. But some of the most sensitive and important issues are clear all over the Bible, but they're under attack by people who don't believe the Bible. And at the church, we need to rediscover these two p- pillars. What's it mean to be a biblical man? And what's it mean to be a biblical woman? Does that mean, uh, you know, does that mean guys, I was thinking about this, how to picture this, does that mean guys are going to get their 80s Sylvester Stallone on and get their Rambo gear out and start blazing through? Or Chuck Norris, you know, shadows are scared of Chuck Norris because he scared them to death or something like that. Uh, and then, ladies, does this mean you get on uh, your Jane and, uh, uh, you know, you get your Amazon? What does it mean? I mean, really, what does it mean to be a lady after God's glory? What does it mean to be a man after God's glory? Those are all great, great questions that we will get to as we go through. And here's the big idea. And if you're visiting with us, the big idea is simply this. It's, it's kind of the rifle shot thesis of our thing. Very simple. It's a privilege to be a man. It's a privilege to be a woman. Don't waste your gift. Ladies, on Mother's Day and fathers on Father's Day, exactly one month from today, the message is going to be the same. A man's heart should be so close to God that a woman shouldn't have to worry about finding it anywhere else. And as Elizabeth Elliot has famously said, a woman's heart should be so hidden in God that a man has to seek him just to find her. That's what we're supposed to do. But how do we do that in a culture that says everything opposite of that? We're going to look at it two ways today, guys. Two things we're going to look at today. This is the, kind of the, the plumbing. We've been on plumbing sermons the last three weeks. We looked at what is a pastor, what's a church. John Moody, I see you back there, brother. Thank you for preaching last week and challenging us with missions. Put a lot of back to the basics. Two things we're going to look at today. What does the Bible say about men and about women? First, God created men and women to do two things. First, we are of identical worth. And secondly, we have distinct roles to fulfill. See, Darren, this sounds more like a male chauvinist 19, uh, you know, 1690s sermon. Well, we'll get there. But what I want you to do is, friends, we have to go back to the Bible, don't we? Everything we do should go back to what the Word of God says or does not say. And that's why I want to look at the theology of it today and then the practicality of it next week. And we'll, we'll apply it this week. But you're going to ask questions. You know, what about this situation? Or what about that situation? Next week, okay? Hold your horses. That's the invite to next week. And fathers uh, and mothers, you can still come, and fathers will beat up on both sides of the coin. It'll be all okay. But one thing you need to know is you have to have the right foundation before you can answer questions that our culture and you may have about what it means to be a man of God and what it means to be about a woman of God. And hold on with me through this sermon. Some of you are going to look at this, and you're going to say, Darren, weren't you born like just 33 years ago? Are you in the 21st century or the 9th century? Hold on. That's what I'm going to ask you. Because you're going you're gonna to hear things and you're going to say, Darren, do you know how pig-headed that sounds? And I'll say, yes, I do like bacon. Thank you very much. I do. How old time is that? I know what I'm saying here. Hang in there. Hang in there. Trust me. Friends, this is graded against me as it often does as I prepare these messages because I am a product of culture as well as your pastor. But you are products of culture as well, both man and woman. We want to be faithful to do what God's word says, don't we? Every week. And so if you are visiting and you're not a follower of Christ, hang in there. I pray that this sermon beelines to who Christ is as we look at a biblical man and a biblical woman. Hang in there. You got it? Are you hanging on? You know, Worlds of Fun opened a month ago, and how many of y'all love roller coasters? Just love them. Come on. Any, half the crowd lifts their hands. How many hate roller coasters with a passion? Amen. How many just don't care to go to Worlds of Fun no matter what? Uh, like, uh, most of the hands go up. It's just, we live in the next door. But you know what? Sometimes when you get in roller coasters, they, they, they lock you in for a reason, don't they? They don't want you flying out, okay? I don't want you flying out the roller coaster of what we're about to go through. Hold on. The safety bar is there for a reason. Put your trays in their upright and locked positions and fasten your seatbelts, okay? That's what we're going to do, all right? Let's stand up together if you're able in honor of God's word. Uh, We're going to read Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and we're going to be at different places. Uh, I do not like this type of Bible study because we flip a lot, but in order to look at a big topic, you often have to do that. So we'll look at Genesis 1 and 2 today. We'll look at 3 next week and various passages through the end of June. Uh, Genesis 1.26, it should be on the page one of your blue Bible in your pew if you do not have one. You're welcome to take it and use it. God says this in verse 26 from the ESV Bible. 
Then God said, let us make men in our image after our likeness and let him have or let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, verse 27, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And verse 29, God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the life of breath, that's a lot of stuff, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said, finally, verse 31, everything that he made, he saw, and behold, it was very good. Notice that word, very. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Friends, this topic we're going to talk about, you're going to put your seatbelts on, right? You're going to put your seatbelts on. But I'm going to ask you, too, to take off the cultural glasses, not literally, the cultural glasses that you have and put them to the side, that we may see God's word as it says, And that's what we want to do every week, but especially on this very sensitive but very necessary discussion as we go through. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much that your word does not hold back, but Lord, it instructs us. Yet, Lord, the culture doesn't hold back and tries to instruct us, but Lord, we want to be informed by your word first off as we live in the culture. Father, we trust and know that there are big bubbles in our own lives, whether personally or in our church, that need to be burst not to just burst them to burst them, but, Father, to burst them with love and care and grace and boldness, all of which come from the power of the Spirit we sung about and the power of your word, which is effectually uh, how you use it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, as we celebrate mothers today, as we celebrate all the ladies in our lives, we celebrate fathers in a month. May what we do in this pulpit during the study not just be academic, but may it be practical holiness that leads to change in lives, in church, in whatever is necessary by your calling and your grace. Father, thank you for the so many God-fearing men and women in this church. Help us to grow closer to you and each other through this. We pray for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. All right. So we're going to camp out there in Genesis 1, so keep that open. And friends, the first thing I want you to see, what is a biblical man? What is a biblical woman? The first thing I want you to see is that you need to know that both are of identical worth. Both are of identical worth. And what you see here, uh, and we won't go over all of it, but just as an aside, a lot of skeptics like to say that Genesis 1 is different than Genesis 2, but that is not true at all. God, through the writing of Moses, most likely, is giving us two accounts of the same thing, two different viewpoints of the exact same thing this microphone. Every time we start a new sermon series, the microphone has to be broken in again, so we're going to work on that next time. But God has given us two accounts in Genesis. Both are parallel, but the one thing you see, first off, the first big main point is that both man and woman are of identical worth in God himself. Look back at verse 26. Both have identical worth. It says, so God created man in his image, and in, I'm sorry, verse 27, so God created man in his image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And if you go back to verse 26, you see that phrase, the plural, let us make man in our image, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, and, and so on and so forth. Friends, what we need to remember before we even start this study is that you were made by God himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons called the Trinity. And we have equal dignity before God and each other. Man and woman have equal identity before God himself. That's so key. We must hold fast to this truth, church. From the beginning, men are not superior to women, and women are not superior to to men, or inferior. Wives, you probably know this more about, if you ask your husband to do something around the house that you're good at, you would probably think he's inferior in a lot of ways. And some of you guys who can just look, Jeff Simmons, I love you, brother, you can look at an engine and just diagnose that thing in your head in five seconds. I would look at that, and it would take me five years just to figure out what part is this, and it's a nut or a bolt, and I wouldn't know what it is. That's just how it goes. 
That's how it is sometimes in society. But in God's economy, God created men and women with identical worth. We are made in the image of God. The Bible undercuts culture in that every relationship, whether a man treats a woman as inferior or a woman treats a man as inferior or vice versa, that's not what the Bible says. We should never do that. We are not objects to be abused or used. We are objects that we are people who've been created for God's glory. And I want you to feel the wonder of this. So let me give you some subpoints as we go through. First, we are all bearing resemblance to God himself. We are all bearing resemblance to God himself. We are like God, but we are not God. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that before. That, that harkens back to a Jim Carrey movie from 2003 where he tried to play God, if you remember that. That didn't work out so well. We have lots of differences. We have moral capacities. We have a capacity to reason, love, forgive, humble ourselves, and to be holy. But God is not like us. He's totally separate. And, but he commands us to be holy. And there are mountains and animals and lots of things running around. But there's something that only us humans can do. We are that different. We are uniquely made. We have a physical body. God is spirit. God the Father God the Spirit do not have a physical body, but yet we bear resemblance to the Son who came and was created, that was formed, not created, but the Creator came in the likeness of men. We bear resemblance to our God. Psalm 94 verse 9 says, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Friends, God doesn't have physical eyes, but he sees. God doesn't have physical ears, but he hears. Our beings still resemble God, but are in differences. So we are not God himself, but we all bear the image of God. We resemble him. And that's, that's point number two. We all image God. You know, many of you have said that our son Simeon is a spitting image of me, although he looks much better than I ever did at that age, for to be sure. But that's what an image is. An image is something that demonstrates something else. And what God has told us to do here in Genesis 1 is we are to spread his image and to demonstrate his reign over all creation. You know, if you show a picture of your family on your smartphone, you walk around to someone you don't know and say, hey, this is my family. This is my family. Well, it is your family, but the phone isn't your family, right? I'm insulting your intelligence by telling you that, but you understand what I'm saying. The phone is not your family, but it images your family. Friends, we all have identical worth before God because all of us have been created in the image of God. We image God in this world. How we portray our faith speaks to the masses about the God we supposedly portray. That's another thing. I'm going to go through these points pretty quick because the main thing is going to be point number two. Second, or thirdly, we have the ability to commune with God. That's an old word. Uh, how many of you took your mothers out for dinner this last day or so? Anybody? Oh, wow, guys. One. Rick, wait, way to set the bar, brother. Thank you for doing Oh, you're, okay, your wife. Oh, yes, but you took your wife out. That's good enough, brother. So, Rick, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to teach us how to take people out, apparently. We need some help with that. So, you know, you communed with someone, if you have dinner with uh, your wife or your kids, you commune with them, you sit down with them, you spend time with them, you fellowship with them would be another way to say it. Friends, we are equally created in God's image by the fact that we all have the ability to commune with God. We are not animals. Animals do not, do all dogs go to heaven? That's a great theological question, but all dogs do not have the reason to, to, <laughs> to uh, morally make decisions like you and I have. Will 101 Dalmatians be in heaven? I'll let someone else fight that battle. But one thing I do know is this. We are different than all creation. Animals cannot commune, cannot fellowship with God the way we can. Animals don't need to repent of their sins. Humans do. Why? Because we've been created in God's image, and we need to be rightly restored through Jesus Christ. He relates to us, God does, in creation, different than he relates to your cat Fido, or that's your dog Fido, and your cat Mrs. Prince out there, whatever it is. Men and women are equally created in God's image and have equal dignity before him. Finally, and this is the first point, it'll be quick, we have all a personal responsibility before God. We have a personal duty before God. We do. We have a personal duty before this God to do something. Did you see what it said? What is our duty? Verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is our duty. That's a command. Go do this. 
A command requires both a male and a female. And I'm not getting into all that, but you, you understand that. So in Scripture, male and female superiority is never there. Never there. That may shock some of you. Either side of that coin, that may shock you. I don't know, but there's never a right to disparage or belittle a man. There's never a right to disparage or belittle a woman because of that very fact. To do either one is to undercut the very design of God. And Amy's going to put up this, this faith lesson for you. But it's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to him or her. Do you ever think about that? You know, you look back at history and you look at what happened in Germany in World War II, how there was a certain race they thought that was better than others, even in our own history, where we were better than a certain different color. Uh, we thought we were better Caucasians than African Americans. It couldn't be worse than the truth. Uh, that's not right. We are all equal under God's image. Even that person who is infirm from the moment they're born to the moment they die is as equally created in God's image, man or woman, before him. Friends, that's why in the church there should never be any reason not to forgive if truly we believe that we're all created in the image of God. Because often we don't forgive because we want to hold something over someone. I'm better than you at something. I know more knowledge than you. I, I, I can speak better than you. I can pray better than you. Whatever it is. But we're all equal with dignity before our God. 1 Peter 3 says, Husbands, honor your wives. Hus or husbands, I know it's Mom's Day, so we get to beat up on us guys, so bear with me. But guys, God won't hear your prayers if you don't honor your wife the way he wants you to honor her. Wow. That'll shake you in your boots, won't it? That'll really shake you in your boots. You want your prayers answered, husband? Then, then treat your wife the way God wants you to treat her. That'll really make you think. But one thing we know is we have identical dignity or identical worth before our God. That's point number one. And the focus, what I want to focus on through here is point number two. We are identical, yes, but we have distinct roles. Distinct roles. So you'll flip over to Genesis chapter two with me for just a second. Um, I just want to read some verses with you. I want to read uh, Genesis 2, 4 to 11, and then uh, we'll stop there for just a second. Genesis 2, 4 to 11, if you still have your Bible there. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God, verse 7, chapter 2, formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree, pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to the water of the gardens. And skip down to verse 11, or actually, uh, uh, skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden and Eden to work it, and commanded him, saying, You may surely eat of every tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, G Genesis 2.18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man named them, that's what its name was. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds, the heavens, to every beast of the field. Here's the catch. But for Adam, verse 20, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its flesh. And verse 22, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Friends, this is right here one of the most controversial passages, perhaps, in all of the church today. Genesis 2 that we just read is showing us that this issue of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is deeper than mere anatomy and biology. There is a God creating a man for a reason, and there's a God creating a woman for a reason. God teaches us that here. But we have to listen to what is being said to really get what is going on. Friends, there's about five quick points I want to point out here as we apply this, but I want you to follow with this. First off, Man and woman were meant to complement one another. 
Now, when I say the word compliment, many of you are thinking probably something like this. Oh, that's pretty hair. You have, you have the biggest muscles I've ever seen in your life. You have the, you have the best teeth ever. You, you know, those are great compliments, and they're probably well-designed. But that's not the compliment that we're talking about here. Man and woman were to compliment one another beautifully and wonderfully by God's design. But this has been twisted by many in the church and for political correctness and cultural sensitivity. First, what you need to know, or secondly, is, friends, we're meant to compliment one another. Men, you have a distinct role. Women, you have a distinct role. Yet at the same time, here's what the scripture says, and Matt read part of this. Man was created to be the head. Remember, I told you to hold on. The claws may be coming out, but hold on. Clawed on the bar. We're going down the big hill at the roller coaster. Hold on. The word man was created, and Amy will put this up there. A man was created to be the head. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul refers back to Genesis 2 and says that, quote, the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of every Christ is God. And he goes on in verses 8 and 9 in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, man did not come from woman, woman came from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Matt read Ephesians 5.23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. I'm going to give you lots of references, please write these down, I don't have time to go to all of them, but that's 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5. The picture here that we see from Genesis 1 and 2, as well as through other parts of Scripture, very basically stated, is one of leadership authority in relationship with a woman. But let me be very clear here. This is not in a way that leads to domination. That's a big distinctive that we often get hit at. Headship, as it's called, is what we might refer to as good, loving authority from a man to his wife domination would be against God's design. You know the old joke, ladies, don't you? Yeah, I just married you to be barefoot and pregnant. You know, we joke about that. That is not what the Bible says at all. It's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about dignity because we're all created equal. We saw that. We're all together. Man and woman at the foot of God's created are created equally in God's sight. We're talking about distinction of roles. For instance, I am in a position of authority, or so I think, over our two-year-old Scarlet. And I sigh because many of you, Gilbert, you were there yesterday at the uh, farmer's market and you saw how often that goes. But it doesn't mean that I'm any more human than my, Scar da uh, my daughter Scarlett. It doesn't mean I'm any more worth dignity to her or any more valuable. We're both equal before God, are we not? But as her parent, by God's good design, I have a loving authority and hope evident in my authority that I am showing forth Christ through that. In a similar way, man is created as the head and role of leadership, and woman is created to be the helper. Whew, are you hanging on? I hope you are. Genesis 2, 18 and 20, friends, we can read this. Uh, you notice that you can read all through this, but you go to verse 18 in chapter 2, and it says very clearly that man was created, and then I will make him a helper fit for him. Ladies, this is not demeaning. And we'll explain this, but woman was created to be the helper. Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good that man should be alone. It goes on to say that women, you actually play an amazing role in the lives of your husbands, more than we can ever say. And note, this is before sin in the world. God didn't make these roles, man as head, woman as helper, after, after Adam and Eve sinned. This happened as a result before all that went down. So when God said in chapter Genesis 1.31, it is very good. What is he referring to? He's referring to the setup that man is the head and woman is the helper, equally before God, but in distinct roles. Was the woman created the same as the man? Yes, in equal dignity and value. Was the woman created the same as man in role? No, quite literally, he is his helpmate. On one hand, you have the need of equal dignity. On the other hand, you have a role that complements him. Do you see that? this morning. And men, before you get back and say, yeah, well, I guess I'm getting steak tonight on Mother's Day. <sighs> well, you might be getting steak, brother, but you better be cooking it first for your wife or your mom or whatever it is. Another point I want you to see, and it's a quick one, is that man was created to exercise caring charge over the woman. This is not 
Friends, this is not a man who's beating the whip saying, hey, woman, go get me that. This is not a man saying, hey, go do this as I want you to do this. This is a man who has understood his role and understood his wife's, but does so even looking forward to the care of Christ that he would have for his church. That's such a big difference. As the head of this role is defined, especially in the marriage relationship, this is what we see. And women, as well, equally, you were created to extend delightful submission to the man. Now, notice I didn't say you're a doormat, ladies. That is a big, big difference. You are not going to be, you know, your husband shouldn't have a remote, and he pushes it and says, hey, give me that orange juice out of the refrigerator there. Hey, I want pizza. Can you go to CC's down the road for me? Wouldn't that be great? That's not how it works. And guys, if that's your picture of marriage, you got a wrong view of marriage. I'm sorry to say it. I know as soon as I say that phrase, a woman was made to show delightful submission to a man. We are walking against the grain of the culture. Still holding on, right? It's chauvinistic, it seems. It's, it's dominating. But authority and submission are not a negative thing, are they? They shouldn't be. Most means that you're less worth of a person, we say today, but that undercuts truth number one. We're not saying, that ladies, because you have a distinct role as helper, that you are less than the man in God's sight. Not at all. What we are saying is that these roles are different, and if we will listen, they are good for us. And you say, Darren, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Next week, we'll get there. I want to show you the theology today. But men, I just as a side note, you are not the... <laughs> Men, be very careful how you exercise headship over your home. I guess that's one way to say it. Are you leading with an iron fist like Stalin ruled the iron curtain of the 1940s you know, Russian Republic? Are you leading, yes, with a strong arm, as you should boldly, men, but are you, are you leading at times with the necessary grace it takes to figure out the blessing we call our wives? And sometimes that's a guessing game, Amen. But are you willing, are you patient enough to do that? Ladies, are you trusting that your husband's going to lead you well? Are you praying for him that he would? And we'll get to all those practicalities. But how do we know this is true? Friends, let me give you at least six to seven things. And, and, and please, I, I know this is Mother's Day, and even in my head as I was driving here, Seaman was in the back listening to his speech videos, I thought, you know, Darren, how odd it is to share this about male headship and women's submission on Mother's Day. This has no bearing other than to say, ladies, the most free thing you can have in your life is to follow the design. Men, the most free thing you can have in your life is to follow this as the scripture puts it out. I hope you see that. How do we know this is true? Let me give you at least seven or eight things here as we go through. I've gotten a lot of bullet points. Tina, you're writing fast today. We're keeping you busy up front, I know. Are you sure? How do you know this, pastor? Is this just you because you want to be in charge of everything and you're a man and Friends, I never said that. What I do want to remind us, though, is, is that there is a reality here that shows what the Bible says. Some of them are whispered, some of them are shouted, but the reality is the Bible, in the verses we've read, outlines these very things. First off, how do we know that a man, man should be head of the house and a woman should be his helpmate? First is in the order of creation, the sequence of the order of creation. Man was created first, and the woman was created second. Be careful, Pastor. Where are you going with this? Friends, what was point number one? We're both equal before the Lord, but with distinct roles. They could have been created at the same time. I mean, couldn't God have done that? Couldn't he have just said, poof, man, poof? You know, kind of like twins. You always ask them which was born first, and one beat the other by a second, or something like that. Couldn't God have just said at midnight on whatever day, however long ago, boom, they both came in at the same time? Could he have done that? Absolutely, he could have. But we don't see a difference there in how God did that, except in the fact we see that the male was created first. 1 Corinthians 11, 8, man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. In leadership of the church, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, Paul points to the male leadership in the church. Adam was formed first, and then Eve. There is a theological meaning here. It's not just a defined flip of the coin. There is meaning behind this. Secondly, notice the purpose of creation. It's not just when woman was created, but how. Friends, man is formed first. God takes all the animals. Can you imagine this scene? We're studying with our young ones on the Bible story, the, the Genesis account. I know more about Genesis now, I think, than I ever knew because of the, the study of the, the Bible with them. God takes all the animals and parades them in front of Adam. 
And wouldn't that be crazy? You get to name all the animals. How in the world do you come up with the name orangutan and sloth and all these things? The creepy crawly things. Do you ever think about that? But everything passes by. But Genesis 2.20, we just read it. It says, there was no helper fit for him. He's alone. So God tells Adam, take a nap, dude. And he says, Adam, take a nap. All these naming animals makes me tired. And God takes a rib out of him. The first surgical operation, it was successful. And no recovery time, by the way, if you notice that. He closes it up and he forms it. Adam wakes up, rubs his eyes, and he goes, whoa, that's amazing. Where, Where did that come from? You know, whoa. A man spent, who tried, he was spent, he tried to name all the animals and all the earth. And he opens his eyes and he sees a woman. She will be called woman because she was taken out of God could have breathed life just like he did with Adam out of the dust, but literally he takes something out of man. That is God's purpose of creation in that sense. Notice thirdly, the labeling of the woman. How do we know that the man should be head, the lady should be the helpmate, and there's equal as they are distinct roles? That we could go through many verses, but naming something is very important, the recognition of authority. When God changes the name of someone, he does it with a purpose. When someone was born in the Bible, you often see the word bitter water or, or, or some things, and we think you know, some childhood services would be in there to pick them up for naming them such a thing. But when God does it, Adam names his wife Eve at the end of chapter 2. We didn't get that far. But friends, he names her Eve at the end of chapter 2. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of Adam is given the authority to make that very thing. How do we know man's head of the household? Here's another one for you. The labeling of humankind. Genesis 1.27, man is the picture of representing the male and female in the naming of the human race. When Adam, you go to Romans 5, who is it that was blamed for the sin that happened? Who stood in the rightful place to say, I'm going to take the fall? Who was it? It was Adam. As so all in Adam fell, so also in Christ all will be redeemed. Clearly, God didn't have to say politically correctness back then. He said he named the human race mankind at that point. See, Darren, that's so insignificant. But friends, that goes into number five. Adam is the representative of all of us. You know, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever said to yourself, you know, Darren, if I was back then and I was Adam, I never would have done that. Have you ever thought that before? What a goofball. Adam, come on, dude. He said not to eat off the tree. And what does he do? Crunch. He takes a bite. Friends, Adam is our representative. He is the one, according to 1 Corinthians, that in all people die in Adam, but in Christ all are made alive. Adam, the man, is the representative. Ladies, this does not denounce you as equally or, or less, but God set up Adam to be the fall guy because men are there. Friends, this church rises or falls by how men in this church rise up for the word of God. Ladies, equally you too. How we see this affects everything that we do. See, Darren, what's the practical outworkings of that? Are you holding on? You've been on the mamba. There's one big hill and we're going up the next one and we're going to go down. Hold on to your hats. You can scream and take those funny photos that they give you at the end too, but, but this is what it says. Number six, how do we know the man was put in charge? I think we could also say there's a responsibility of man. Genesis 3, we'll get there a little bit next week. God gave man to, God gave the man, Eve, before he, uh, God gave the man to man before Eve was created, if I can say that right. I'm not, my notes aren't very clear there. But Adam was supposed to protect his family. Who grabbed the fruit off the very first thing? Who was it? You remember? It was Eve. Friends, this does not mean that He's not culp- Eve is not culpable, but who is the one that was supposed to be protecting his family? Adam. We often knock the ladies and say, if, well, if she hadn't grabbed it off there, well, Adam, if you had done your job, we wouldn't be in this mess. God called to the men, and when God comes in Genesis 3, he doesn't call out, Eve, Eve, where are you? Who does he call out for? He calls out for Adam. Adam, you're the be in charge here. I put you in charge. And even though the story's about Eve and Adam, uh, Adam plays a minor role, but God holds him responsible for what happens in that garden. The primary way that sin came through was through one man. The primary responsibility of sin is to put it on man at that point. Ladies, this is not a free... I had one lady when I shared this at a church one day and say, yes, I get to go do whatever I want because the man represents... 
We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. Amen? You see how this flips back and forth, back and forth. What's another way we know that the pages of Genesis tell us that the man is the head of the household? Well, the consequence of sin. Some say this is where the helper headship thing came in, but again, this is not the introduction of new roles. This wasn't before sin came in. Adam was still head and woman was still helper. It's a distortion sin is after Adam eats the fruit of those roles. But the roles were not set up after the sin that happened. That's a small note, but it's a big note. And finally, as we seek to apply and rescue this out, God came to rescue sinners and sinful men. Do you ever think about that? When Jesus came, he came to save every person. Do you believe that? Red, yellow, black, and white, we are all precious in his sight. Man, woman, um, disabled, uh, super athlete, super geek, super, super whatever, star, God came to save us all. We'll humble and believe the gospel. But if headship, this headship helper thing, man, woman, was bad, then why didn't Christ come out and just address it and switch it when he came in? Do you ever think about that? Jesus never came in and said, you know, I kind of messed it up back in Genesis, and you really messed it up, guys. Why don't we just change this a little bit? No. God says, yeah, sin came into the world, and when Christ came, he still affirms this helper headship thing. Friends, that's significant. Men was created to be the head, women was not, but woman was created to be the helper that man was not. That's always been the case. Okay. Maybe you've been offended today. Uh, you know what? That, that roller coaster is coming in for a landing. And uh, I've been on the Mamba before when it stopped halfway with youth on the downhill slide. And when you're with youth by yourself with other adults, that's not fun for 45 minutes. You feel like you're hanging there. M- many of you feel like that. You're suspended in air right now. Well, what do I do with this? Friends, let me be clear again. We're not saying this to be offensive. We're not saying this to be chauvinistic. We're not saying this to be pig-headed. But you say, well, Darren, well, of course you say that. You're a white, middle-class, Caucasian man in 21st century America. Doesn't that qualify you for all those things that just came in? Yeah, it probably does. But friends, what I want to arrange in your thoughts above yourself and see is that this is how God has done it since the beginning. Ladies, this should not make you feel less. But as God has created you, and we will get into this in the coming weeks, this should free you to be what God wants you to be, not what Esquire magazine says you should be. Men, I love action movies like the rest, but this doesn't mean that you're going to walk in with John. Man, all right, partner, uh, come on, I'll shoot you down. You know that. Uh, if I don't know who would win between John Wayne and Rambo, but I have a feeling Rambo might win that. But what I want you to see, guys, is this. You need to know the Bible is not calling for a John Wayne headship leadership in the home. Ladies, it is not calling for a, um, an Amazon, uh, whatever else culture may throw at you expectation. God is calling you to be what he wants you to be. And that is the most freeing truth that you could ever have in this world. You say, Darren, I don't like it. And it's hard to like the God who saved you because he's the one that set it up, isn't it? And I'm speaking five million ways back to myself. Look, to be quite honest, if I can be disclosure, I don't think there's any honest man here who would say, if he's the head of a household, that sometimes the pressure of leading your family spiritually is not something that you want to do. Sometimes you just want to go home, go hide in a cave, and pretend that nothing is happening. But men, that's not what we're called to do, as we'll see in the coming weeks. We're called to lead. We're called to be bold. We're called to be humble. We're called sometimes to bring the iron fist, but oftentimes to bring the velvet glove with a soft touch. Ladies, you've been brought up in a culture that says the more you buck against authority, the more godly of a woman you are. And that's rightful to a place, and we'll get there. But have you embraced what God has said about you? Men, have you embraced what God said about you? two sides of that gospel-centered coin. What does this mean? Let's close with this, and I know we're running short on time. Close with this. Friends, first off, all this is for our good. Both in the likeness of God and with different roles. All this is for our good. We are attracted to one another by our differences. 
Men, you remember that book, uh, uh, Carlos, we were talking about this at a prayer meeting. Well, I don't know how we got on this. We always seem to get on these topics sometimes, but uh, men are from uh, Mars and women are from uh, Venus. They, you've read it, apparently, so you know. It's challenging at times because we see that there are these differences, and there are. Friends, there are differences. There should be. It's challenging, but it's good. It's a good thing. You know, what makes it good is that we, we are different. You know, I've told Natalie before, if, if both of us were like me, we would have the most boring thing in the world. We would be serious all the time. We'd never give hugs. We, you know, to give a hug, we'd be like, whoa, that's personal space. Watch out, you know. We'd do that sort of thing. Because if everyone was like me, you've known me long enough, it would be a pizza-eating, running, boring society. That's what we would be doing. But I'm grateful that in our marriage, that we would be different. What attracts me to my wife is, is not that she's like me, but that she is different. We honor one another as we enjoy one another. That comes through differences, and that's the physical act of marriage. We're attracted to different areas that the other person does not have, if I may say so. That is what makes us good. Friends, it is good. It is good. The question that our church is going to have to ask across all areas and all things is, is this Bible enough to inform us about everything that we do? Is it? It is. It sure is, yes. And I know we believe that, but friends, sometimes as the culture is saying this and the culture is saying that and the culture is pushing you this way, this is what a man should do, this is what a woman should do. We have to come back and be those old fuddy-duddies who say, no, that's not what my God says I should do. And that's a big difference. Secondly, all this is glorifying to God. It is. We reflect His character, and, and God is our head. He shows us it's good and loving and authority to submit to His authority. We do this because He asks us to. Psalm 121, you know the song. Lift up your eyes. Where does your help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Friends, if we culturally look at this issue on a horizontal plane, we're going to miss the field. But if we look to Christ who says this is how it should be, then we will do that. The Bible grates against the culture, friends. The Bible grates against it. I was talking to a good pastor friend of mine. He may listen to this. Uh, it's not a privileged conversation. You just don't need to know the church. But a pastor friend of mine in some area far, far away said, You know, Darren, when I became pastor such a years ago, we started at 300 people. Now we're down to 200. He said, he said, you know what? Maybe I should just retire out and be done. And we had to come to the conclusion after a long time that a lot of those people left because he was teaching the Bible. And they love, it's a loving church. It really, really is. Friends, when we talk about these issues, we are talking about something that will never be acceptable to the culture. We're talking about issues that are things that God says and the and natural man is going to look at them and say, no, that's ridiculous. They say that about your Savior too. They said that to him as you studied in Sunday school. Many of you in small groups later this week, they looked at him and said, you can't be the Savior. Blasphemy, and he tore his robes off. But the Savior was right there in front of him. Friends, everything we do is going to grate against the culture. Do you trust the culture or feminism? Do you trust culture, men, or the action movies that declare what a man should be? Or Spike TV that tells you if you do this and do that, then you're a great guy. Your worth is not your role. It's the image of God. Your worth is not your role, friends. It's the image of God. Is the word or the culture informing how we view these issues? And finally, and I'll end with this, it all goes back to the gospel, doesn't it? It makes a beeline to Jesus. I'm so grateful. Ephesians 5 says it's a mystery. Matt read that. Not something that can be figured out. Man and woman were created this way. This design of God is that relationship between man and woman. There would be a pure, visible relationship of the church, which is the bride of Christ, and the head of the church, which is Christ. Friends, Christ is our sacrificial groom. He died to save us, and we are his submissive bride. We are to serve him. God has designed the headship of men and the help of women to display the glory of Christ and the salvation of souls. Don't forget that. When you go home today and you say, that was the craziest Mother Day sermon we've ever heard. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Friends, I pray that you look at Ephesians 5 and you say, you know, God, where is it that I need to change in this? Is there? Father, am I walking with this? Help me be faithful. Lord, is there something idle in my heart that we do this? 
At this church, we want to raise men and women, young men and women, young kids, to see the gospel. But if we undercut the very picture of God through the headship of man and the helpfulness of woman, equal at the cross, distinct in roles, then, friends, we undercut the very gospel we proclaim. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, this is a tough truth this morning, but, Lord, I pray, and I I really do pray this. I pray that our church this morning, our families this morning, starting with my own, would know that this is your design. And, Lord, we've hit the theology of it, and next week, the week's coming, we'll hit the practicalities for sure. But, Lord, I, I pray that as we look at these issues, we don't look at them from the lens of 2020 or Unsolved Mysteries or Dateline or whatever else may be out there. Father, I pray we look at these as best we can through our sin-filled, righteously clothed eyes in Christ as you see them. May your Spirit protect us, Lord. May your Spirit protect us from bucking against the very things you've given. May your Spirit protect men from leading in ways they should not lead. May your Spirit protect women in leading in ways they should not lead. May your Spirit draw us to lead and follow and submit one to another under Christ as only you would have us. Father, that's countercultural. That's different. It feels weird. It is awkward. But Lord, thank you that your word is awkward because you are a God that's perfectly holy and we're not. And we need that awkwardness to point and show and shine a light in our hearts that we might see the glory of Christ. Father, I pray for marriages in here. I pray for fathers. Father, that you would equip them over the coming weeks to lead as they ought to lead. I pray for grandparents who are modeling this for their grandkids. Pray for women who are wives, Lord, that they would uh, see this as well and would lead in the areas you've called them to lead as well. Father, in each area, may you give us grace and wisdom. Father, may you protect us from all things. And Father, thank you for a church that embraces your word. Father, help us to dig into it because that is what we desire. Thank you that in Christ, all are complete. Father, I pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus as Savior, that you would, by your Spirit, draw them to the fact that all have fallen short and all deserve judgment. But Father, by grace, your Son came perfectly, lived the life they could not live, died the death they could not die, and on that cross took the wrath of God that we deserve, was buried three days, rose again, literally, bodily, physically, and is coming again. Father, stir within our souls that today. Thank you for the men and women here. Thank you for your Son. We pray this all in Jesus' name.